underneath all of that is fear. The fear is there because there's a lack of safety and there's a lack of trust. Hi, I'm Alana Gallo. I'm a teacher, a mom to four, and the founder of Play, Learn, Thrive. Join me as I chat with real parents and experts as we explore all things play and child development. It's time to take the focus away from you and put the responsibility of playtime back into your kiddos' hands. So if you're tired of planning, leading, and facilitating play sessions, you've found the right place. Each week, we'll explore the importance of play and how it supports child development, along with simple ways to incorporate play in a purposeful way so you can raise confident, self-motivated kids who enjoy playing independently. Hey guys, it's Alana here from Play, Learn, Thrive. Today on, I have Beth Tyson, who is a trauma-informed parenting educator, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about um, the importance of play in early childhood, how um, trauma right impacts kids, and what we can do about that, and I'm going to let her talk a little bit about her background. Hi everyone. Thanks for having me, Alana. I'm happy to be here. Well, we have a lot in common, you know, with me being uh, a trauma-informed parenting educator, which which basically means I'm trying to teach other people all about childhood trauma and how we can help support children in our communities who have ex- been exposed to trauma. Um, right now, I feel like everybody has been exposed to a trauma with, you know, the experience of COVID-19 and and some of the things that are going on in the world. So this touches everybody's life. You know, trauma is pervasive. It's not something that is just, you know, categorized for one-time overwhelming events happen in smaller events throughout life. I believe that we've all we we've all experienced trauma at some point in our lives. And so my mission, my goal in life is to teach other people about the impact of trauma and the things that we can do to mitigate it and to help us cope and thrive and and live happy lives and I believe that that starts with our children. Yeah. I feel like everything starts with our children, right? <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, so do you want to talk a little bit about um, just how that looks? Like what does that look like for, early, for for children in that early childhood space and how, what are some things that you want to make sure that people are aware of when they're looking at, like looking into that? Yeah. So the first thing is knowing what the symptoms are of childhood trauma. You know, so if you have a child who is experiencing extreme behavior problems, um, a high degree of defiance and acting out and is having a lot of rage and anger, you want to consider that maybe maybe there has been a trauma that has taken place. Um, not to just assume that this child is a problem child or assume that this child has, you know, is doing this on purpose. It's that it could be there's something going on in the brain that is preventing the child from being able to regulate their emotions, which means being able to stay calm and centered and during a stressful time. Um, so taking away the blame, I guess, is really important. I think when we look at children's behavior and trying to consider that, you know, there are lots of stressors in our world. Our children feel them all. They hear our conversations. They pick up on tone of voice. They pick up on, you know, the different things that are going on. Our emotions are become a mirror for them and things like that. So there's there's a lot that's going on that contributes to the way a child is behaving and, um, you know, taking away that lens of like, what's wrong with you? Why are you giving me so many problems? And, and looking at it and saying like, how can I help you? Like you're struggling now. And I feel like the first thing that parents usually jump to is that like, not the, I don't want to say we just like jump to blame, but we do because it's kind of that natural reaction. Like, why are you acting like this? And then not thinking about, so 
Now, thinking about that, I know that a lot of the work that you do is with children who are in foster care, children who are not being raised by their biological parents. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So trauma is much more pervasive in families that are impacted by the foster care system. You know, most children who are removed from a biological family are removed because of trauma, neglect, abuse, you know, these, these horrific things. I worked with that population as a psychotherapist prior to having my own child. And I worked in homes where children were about to be removed from their foster home due to behavioral issues and behavioral problems. And and what I did and what I spent most of my time doing was helping to educate the foster parents or the grandparents that were raising their grandchildren about how and why the child was acting the way they were doing and tools and skills that they could use to implement with the children to help them learn how to regulate their emotions again. And a lot of it stems from rebuilding trust. Children who are having a lot of anxiety, a lot of acting out behaviors, and a lot of trouble at home or at school, underneath all of that is fear. The fear is there because there's a lack of safety. There's a lack of trust. And so if we can go in at the bottom level there and get to the root of the problem and increase safety and trust in a child's life, then you will start to see the behaviors, the negative behaviors fall away, and and you'll start to see more adaptive behaviors Healthy adaptive behaviors. Yeah. Awesome. So you talked about some strategies and and tactics and and things that parents can do. I feel like I would love to hear a few of those because I, number one, I feel like they probably apply to everybody. Yes. I mean, even if your child hasn't experienced significant trauma, I feel like, you know, they're probably universal strategies that we should all be aware of just to, because I'm I'm sure they're helpful. So I would love to hear a few of those. Yes, absolutely. These skills do apply to everybody. I mean, it's not just children with trauma. It's really how we all can help our children feel more more safe and more trusting. So one of the most important things I feel from my own experience is helping children understand the truth of their lives, you know, so making sure that you are being as honest as possible with children, but in age-appropriate ways is something I focus on um, because oftentimes uh, children, if they don't know the truth about what's happening, what's going on in the world or in their life, then they make up stories with their imagination. They come up with their own ideas. And sometimes that story is very inaccurate from what's really happening because their imagination just goes wild. And it sometimes even can be worse than what is actually happening. So it's important to try and be as honest as possible, but in an age-appropriate terms. So you don't need to overwhelm a child with too much information and too many details, but giving them an honest understanding of what's going on in their present everyday life. So for example, I I started to talk about COVID-19 and how my daughter was, you know, and all of our children were kind of shocked by all of that as well as we were too. So I honestly told her in the beginning, I sat her down and I explained to her what was going on and and I told her, like, I, I'm scared, too. I'm sure you're feeling scared and sad and you're missing your friends. And, and we talked about it. And she cried on my lap for, like, three or four minutes. You know, I just admitted to her, like, that that we don't know what's happening next and and validated how upsetting that could be. And a few minutes later, like, she popped back up and was playing and, and went about her day. But she had that opportunity to release some of her sadness and confusion about what was going on and hear that yeah, I'm scared too. And and that's okay. Like we all get scared sometimes. And so that's the kind of honesty I'm talking about where you can share your own emotions with children, but 
not overwhelming them and leaning on them for emotional support because yeah. that you know you have to have have to have some boundaries there being able to share your own emotions and just saying you know I'm I'm feeling afraid too and and we're going to work this out together we're going to get through this together that's my example because I know that one feels probably relevant to a lot of yeah. people right now but with any anything that's going on a major change that's coming up you know transitions preparing them ahead of time I'm really good at trying to instill that in my daughter like Every day I would tell her, okay, we're going to do this this morning. Then at lunchtime we're doing this. And then in the afternoon we're doing that. So that they know what's coming next. They can trust that they have an idea of what's coming. Now, of course, those things can change and shift as life does. But at least you have put in a framework and you can go to them and say, hey, you know, when I told you we were going to be doing this, you know, there was a change. And now we, you know, for whatever reason, we can't do that anymore. We're going to be doing this instead. But that open communication of like, we're not just pulling you around everywhere all day long, changing things up all the time, without any conversation about it and about why it happened. I think that helps to build trust with children because they're like, oh, mom and dad are going to tell me the truth. Mom and dad are going to prepare me ahead of time if something happens. Mom and dad are going to tell me if something changes. That builds their resilience. That builds their ability to feel safe in their world and that they have someone they can count on. Now, parents aren't dishonest on purpose. It's We're busy, right? We, we're like going from thing to thing. Something changes. We don't tell them, blah, blah, blah. But if you can just try to be a little bit more intentional, um, you're not always going to get it right. I certainly don't. I mess up <laughs> plenty. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> I am no expert at this. I am learning right along all with you. But I have found some things that have worked. And I just want to share the things that have worked for my family with, with other people and, and with the clients I've worked with as well. So, yeah, I think it's it's small little things you can do like that where you're just consistently building that trust. And um, with young children, because I know that's your your population is – mostly younger families, I think, right? Yeah, I would say like birth through, you know, elementary aged kids, um, even though I teach high school, but that's kind of where I'm thinking like early childhood is where I focus just in terms of my trying to educate parents about that. So another thing that I find to be really useful, especially in this can start at birth, even though children can't directly communicate with their words, how they're feeling or experiencing things, you can directly communicate with them. And I'm sure you, you've talked about this probably before, but just asking or telling them what you're doing next. So kind of sports casting. Do you have, do you, have you talked about that before? Yeah. Well, no, I, I haven't talked about that um, like in my blogging or, or anything like that, but I do do that like just with um, everything from, you know, changing the diaper, like I'm going to change your diaper. You, oh, you're wet. Like, you know, whatever, um, that kind of stuff to also just everyday stuff, like when you're cooking or when you're opening the fridge and you're looking for, oh, I'm looking, you know, just kind of talking through your everything that you're doing, because it was a parenting book that I was reading about how uh, kids develop language and how speaking to them and, and kind of the more words that they hear and, you know, engaging them and engaging them in that kind of conversation and any little noise that they make kind of being responsive to that and, and using that as a way like they're, you know, if they, if they coo at you to kind of talk back to them so that like they're participating in the conversation even from really young. And that's kind of what helps develop the, the strongest speakers and the strongest readers. And so I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and not only that, but you're developing a strong attachment bond. 
yeah. in psychology, attachment is everything when it comes to yeah. emotional well-being and mental health for children and families. That bond, that early bond that forms between parent and child in the first even two months is so critical um, to the child's long-term well-being. And so if you're being attuned and in engage with your child in that way and thinking of them as a whole person at birth, you know, and not just thinking, oh, it's a baby. They can't hear me. They can't, they don't understand me. They do understand way more than we realize. And so, you know, I even talk about how consent, you know, teaching them consent starts at birth. You're teaching your children. You can even ask them like, uh, you know, I'm going to pick you up now. Is that is that okay? And kind of like see how they respond. And I know that sounds a little out there probably for most people, but you know, you can at least try to engage with like asking them permission before you um, come into their personal space. And even with young children, that's important too. You know, just because we're their parents doesn't mean that we get to just, you know, touch them or do things the way we need to do it. You know, having some sense of like, I'm going to change your diaper now and like letting them know that at least what's coming next can help increase that trust and reduce just the overwhelm of being a little kid, you know, in this world where everything's happening to you and you yeah, don't have I was going to say everything happens to you and you don't right. feel like you have any control. And I guess that's one thing that I love to talk about too, is like building independence and resilience and, and giving kids opportunities to really, show that they're capable because I think a lot of the times parents underestimate how capable their kids are. So like what you're saying, like you're teaching them consent. Like, so for, you know, just as an example, once my kids start really talking, which they, they usually, my kids have all, at least my older three who are six, four and a half and two have started really wow. kind of communicating pretty fully around like between 18 months and two, giving them like the choice or giving them the option and kind of giving them that that chance for them to do something without just jumping in it's like it's a game changer because they feel like okay i have i have that control i can make these decisions by myself and then you know a lot of the times they're like i do it and okay you know you do it you let me know if you need help and then within 2 seconds they're like help me help me you know and i want to be like hello yeah <laughs> i know you know i knew you weren't going to be able to do that but you know you don't want to crush their little spirit but it's interesting that in in right. relation to the trust piece um i just had this kind of thought about how those two things really connect because if you can't trust that your caregiver is going to be there for you when you can't do something, then you're going to be a lot less likely to try to do things on your own. So like that developing that independence is based in the fact that you know that if you can't do it on your own, that you have that like that backup and that person that's going to be there to support you. So that's, I think that's something that's important to note too, that, you know, developing independence and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, it's like, it doesn't just mean like, oh, go do it yourself. You know, it's, it's like, you have to be, you have to be right. a guide, you have to be there. You have to have that, that bond so that that way the child feels safe. The child feels comfortable. They feel like they can take that risk because they know if they mess up, whether it's big or small, whether they fall or they do something they're not supposed to, whatever it is that you're going to be there to kind of back them up. So, yeah. And I think what you're talking about is so important and something I really believe in is allowing children to, to make those mistakes and to have those fails and to realize that um, either a, they can ask for help or B, you know, they learn from that experience, you know? So, you know, for example, I could tell my daughter a million times, 
don't run down the steps, don't run down the steps, you know, you're going to get hurt. But until she actually runs down and trips and skins her knee, she doesn't really learn that she she really needs to not do that kind of thing, you know. So they learn from their mistakes. They learn from their failures. They build trust in themselves when we allow them. They can't if they they can't have trust in themselves if we're constantly swooping in at the first sign of distress and removing whatever obstacle it is or helping them through whatever it is. Um, you know, I start from the time my daughter is very very young. I it was painful, but I would let her struggle. I would watch her like try to push the little push toy and she'd keep falling down, keep falling down. And and every instinct in me wanted to rush over there and and hold her hands on it and help her do it. But I just, she just kept doing it over and over and over again. And I I let her struggle with that. And eventually, you know, she gets it. And that's how you build that inner confidence. That's how you strengthen, strengthen them. She wasn't in any harm or any danger. But my instincts were like, help her, you know. So it's kind of counterintuitive because what what was really going to help her most long term was letting her have that struggle and letting her her get to that you know place. And then of course being there, if she's getting overly frustrated, then she's not going to be learning. So there is a cutoff point. Like if the child is crying and screaming, you know, if they seem distressed, then you need to step in because there's no learning that occurs in the brain once once the brain is flooded with those stress hormones. So. So yeah, it's having that discernment, being able to intervene, giving them time to to be challenged and trust that they can do it, but then knowing also when it's time to intervene and say, here, let me help you. Okay. Awesome. No, I love that. Um, The other thing I wanted to ask, and we sort of touched on this a little bit, um, was just the importance of like, so obviously I love to talk about play, the importance of play. And I feel like in particular, this population who of, of kids who have experienced trauma, they're often, um, I guess not given, not given the opportunity, the time, the space, the safe area where they can, they can really play. Um, you know, they might live in an area that's not, you know, that's not physically safe, or they might have, um, a lot going on in their home where they, they're, you know, being um, exposed to things that are, you know, kind of beyond their years or they're having just all these different things that go on um, in these families who, who are going through this kind of thing. So I would be curious to hear your thoughts about that and how, number one, how I guess that impacts kids development, um, not having access to this type of play where they're, you know, you know, they're built, you know, they're doing, things with open-ended toys, they're outside, they're in nature, they're, you know, they're really given that time and space to play independently and, and how that impacts them. And then what are some things that maybe you would like to see just in general uh, happen for these kids and, and how we could support them in that? Absolutely. So yes, play is crucial for mental health and emotional well-being for children and adults. I'm trying to learn how to play again as as an adult right now. I've been... <laughs> I feel like, what do I do for fun? You know, it's like you, you kind of lose it over time. But um, children, obviously, play is critical. That's how they work out all the things that they're going through and all the little little conflicts that they have in their minds that are happening around them. I always suggest for anybody that anybody that has children to make sure that they have, fig- you know, some kind of dolls and figurines and just observe your child as they're playing with Barbies or GI Joes or whatever they might be, because you'll see them playing out their little internal conflicts with those figurines and those things. And it might not make sense to you in the more in the moment, 
but it's a form of like play therapy for them, right? It's not being guided by, you're not a therapist, not being guided by a therapist, but like when you're allowing them to have those little interactions and let them do whatever they're doing, even if it seems strange or unusual, that's their brain processing and working out like all the little stressors and things that kids experience. So play is critical and that outdoor time also is is so critical. And, And many families that live in urban settings or have a lot of chaos going on at home, there really just aren't opportunities for play because of the stress. And so they're not getting that stress relief. They're not getting to process their emotions in the same way that kids who have more access to play are getting. So it's it's even more vital and more important, you know, for them to have those outlets when there's a lot of stress and chaos in the family. Because like you said, there are things that take away those opportunities, such as a five-year-old who's kind of caring for a two-year-old, you know, because mom is overwhelmed and um, dad's at work or, you know, whatever it might be. So they don't have the same opportunities to play as much as other children do, and that impacts their mental health. Yeah, I know it makes sense. And it's unfortunate because I feel like, like what we're saying, those children are already kind of at this disadvantage because of the situation and the trauma that they've experienced. And then on top of that, like something so simple as the opportunity to play, which is like what childhood should be about, right? Is like kind of taken from them. Uh, Beth has a book. So we want to talk about that. Um, I It's on her site, but I want to give you a chance to talk quickly about that book. And I feel like that's such an important topic. So I'll give you a chance to, to talk a little bit about that. Thank you, Alana. I appreciate that. So I was working as a family therapist within the child welfare system several years ago. And I a lot of my clients were grandparents raising their grandchildren, which is a population that is just blowing up right now due to the opioid epidemic and incarceration and and some other unfortunate circumstances. So um, there are 2.8 million grandparents raising their grandchildren in the United States, and it's just a, a massive number that's growing every year. But there's very little resources, very little support and awareness about these families. But just about everybody I know has a, a friend in their classroom that is being raised by a grandparent or maybe another relative like an aunt or uncle. Um, so while I was doing this work with families, I always wanted to bring a children's book to them to help the children understand what they were going through, help the grandparents have like a tool to talk about these hard things. Um, but there just wasn't one. I couldn't, I couldn't find one. Amazon just didn't have anything for me. <laughs> so I, I said, one day I'm going to write this book. So I did. And It's called A Grand Family for Sullivan, and it is available on Amazon now. Basically, what it does is explains, you know, it's a story of of a little koala bear who has to suddenly go live with his grandmother unexpectedly and is um, very scared and anxious and also angry because he doesn't know why and he doesn't understand why his life has changed so dramatically. In the book, Grandma ends up being able to be the one who can tell him the truth that his parents couldn't keep him safe, but that she will keep him safe. And... And then he also learns some coping skills through a friend that he meets at the park who's going through something similar. And so there's coping skills and therapeutic techniques built into um, the book, mindfulness skills for children. Um, but for you, for the people that listen to this podcast who you know aren't touched by kinship relationships or, or grandfamilies or grandparents raising grandchildren, it's also a, a great opportunity to teach your children about different types of families um, because inevitably there will be one of these children in your child's classroom. And if your child can be aware that this child may be struggling, then, then maybe they'll be sharing some compassion and empathy for them instead of 
looking at them and saying, oh, what's wrong with that child? Or, oh, how come his grandmother, where's his mom? Why is his grandmother picking him up from school? They'll have some awareness and be like, oh, you know, he's going through a tough time and can have some empathy and maybe reach out with some kindness to a child who's going through that situation. So yeah, it's, it's a, a book for grand families, but it's also a tool for anybody because we all go through hard times. Sullivan, my little koala, learns how to cope with his big emotions. Yeah, no, and I love um, for us, you know, in our house, and I know I mentioned this to you before, it's really important for me, for my kids to be exposed to all different kinds of people, right? So we read books about every kind of family situation. And so this is something that I truthfully had never really thought about, even though I work with a huge population of students who do, who are raised by um, people other than their biological families. I never really thought about it like that, like where... To, to teach or to expose my kids to that because it just didn't cross my mind. That's awesome. And um, so I will be purchasing a copy of your book. Um, and I would also love <laughs> for you to, so we're going to wrap up, but I want to give you a chance to tell people where they can find you. So like your website, if you have Instagram or any of those things, and then we'll put all this information in the show notes, guys, and we'll link to the book and all of your, all of your you know places where people can find you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that opportunity. I really, I do appreciate it. I, so I have bethtyson.com. That's Beth Tyson, T-Y-S-O-N. And that's my website. I have a blog on there for like emotional well-being for families, all different topics, childhood trauma, but some other various things um, on there. And then uh, I do webinars online and some of my webinars are posted there as well under the resources page. I am on Instagram as Beth Tyson Trauma Care. And then I also have a very active Facebook group called Emotiminds, and that's E-M-O-T-I-M-I-N-D-S, Emotiminds. And it's parents, therapists, teachers, all types of people who just want to increase the emotional well-being of children and families. So we talk about a range of topics on there, and um, I share you know, tips and guidance um, and have some really important conversations over there. So if you're interested in improving the emotional well-being of your child or your family in general um, or the students you work with, um, check it out, Emota Minds on Facebook. Awesome. So we're going to link to all of that stuff in the show notes so you guys can find um, that all of that easily. And it was awesome to have you. So you. you don't want to miss out, right? Woo-hoo. Hey, friend. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Play, Learn, Thrive show. I'm happy you stopped by for another week of learning with me. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. I so appreciate your feedback. I'd also love for you to join our community of over 20,000 parents on Instagram. You can find us at Play, Learn, Thrive Kids. 